0: this is show me today the voice of missouri i'm bill pollack today you'll learn about the home of one of missouri's famous personalities there's an organization in columbia promoting athletic and physical activities for high school girls they have an event coming up and i'll talk with one of the top 10 pickleball players in the world he's a mizzou student anthony Morbith recently covered a press conference on heat illness and with triple digits across the state, we've seen that a few times. And with worsening drought conditions, Mother Nature isn't going to lighten up anytime soon. Dr. Chris Sampson of MU Healthcare is an ER physician who can explain some signs of heat-related illnesses.
1: Yeah, so some of the initial signs that someone might recognize is just they, they feel dizzy, weak, uh, feels like their heart is pounding. Um, they feel like they might be, like they're going to pass out. Uh, those are some of the initial first signs that probably you need to get out of the heat and get into a cooler environment, or at least under the shade, out of direct sunlight. We're also
2: seeing worsening air quality with this heat as of late. Could you tell me more about the connection between hot weather and air quality, and how it could have drastic effects on the population?
1: Well, in general, I mean, we normally see the air quality being worse during hotter months uh, with the humidity, which really affects a lot of people who have respiratory illnesses, so those with asthma. Uh, COPD, emphysema. Um, combined with, though, the air quality from the, the fires uh, were also based on colleagues of mine that worked in the Northeast when they had it a few weeks ago, um, they definitely saw an increase in patients who, with these respiratory illnesses needing emergent care. Um, so often that just means it exacerbates your underlying disease. So you may feel more of breath, uh, may have more difficulty breathing, uh, sometimes it even could trigger an asthma attack. So they're definitely seeing a rise in people who are coming to the hospital with these respiratory complaints as the air quality gets worse. Could you give me an overview
2: of how the heat affects everyone, not just the vulnerable people groups?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, hot weather is really important. I mean, heat emergencies really account for the largest number of deaths due to weather events. I know we always get worried when we hear about hurricanes and tornadoes, uh, but actually globally, heat is what kills the most people. Um, That really, it's not just, as you said, the vulnerable populations, but anybody can be affected by heat. Um, It's what often happens is the, of course, people who are vulnerable can get dehydrated more quickly, can succumb to uh, the effects of the heat, but really anybody who's outside for prolonged periods of time and not getting adequate rest or not taking enough fluids, um, you can develop mild dehydration or even progress to more severe, moderate or severe dehydration or uh, even people exerting themselves in the heat, exercising or doing work outside. I mean, they can suffer heat exhaustion or even severely heat stroke. A follow-up, if I may, precautions or words of
2: advice for those who need to get out and can't stay cooped up inside?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that from a standpoint of exercising, ideal times are more at the very beginning of the day when the heat is not as bad, or late evenings when it also the sun has gone down, there's still light out, but it's cooler. Um, really, those midpoint of the day when it's very, very hot is not a great time to be outside uh, exercising or exerting yourself. If you do have to be working outside, uh, it's, again, uh, frequent breaks, uh, getting out of the heat for a short period of time, getting into a cool environment, either a building, even an air-conditioned car, um, getting in the shade, and then it's being prepared. Again, it's making sure you've adequately hydrated before you even leave the house. Uh, if you're thirsty already, that's a sign that your body already is is low on fluid and needs more. So really, you want to make sure that you've adequately hydrated yourself before you go outside and start doing any of that work or exercising in this heat.
2: By the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Dr. Chris Sampson from a recent press conference. He's with MU Healthcare and he discusses heat-related illnesses on Show Me Today. So, Dr. Sampson, what are health-related illnesses that are increasing
1: when it's related to the heat? I mean, we will sometimes we do see. Heat. Increase in respiratory disease. So, we'll see patients with asthma, their asthma gets worse, especially when the air quality is worse. Um, we also see patients who, who uh, may have difficulty with temperature regulation. So, sometimes that could be the elderly, um, people who don't have air conditioning in their homes. Uh, it's very easy when it's this hot out for the temperature in homes to rise. Uh, so, you, you're really not even getting into a cool environment if your home lacks air conditioning. Um, and then also, people who are on certain medications uh, can be at risk. So those are medications that may make you urinate more frequently. So sometimes blood pressure medications, uh, people with diabetes, uh, those can cause you to get dehydrated a lot quicker. So you need to be aware if you do have those conditions and just to make sure that you're staying well hydrated. I've
2: heard that antibiotics have an effect on your body being out in the sun. Is that true?
1: So it does vary. Some of the antibiotics do increase your risk of sunburn. the best way to check that is to either review with the pharmacist if you're being prescribed that or whoever is prescribing your antibiotic. Um, in general, also, it's just if you're going to be outside, uh, that raises a good point of making sure you're using sunscreen, uh, especially at this time of year when it's very, very hot out and very sunny. Uh, sunscreen can definitely help prevent you getting a sunburn. Uh, some people think sunburns can be mild, but we've had people who've come in with severe blistering uh, from pretty severe sunburns because they did not use adequate sunscreen. Could you talk about the importance of sunscreen? Yeah, so sunscreen is really important for everyone. I mean, definitely depending on skin types, your, your your risk of burning can be different, but everybody is still at risk of getting a sunburn. Um, and then at, with each sunburn, your risk of skin cancer grows. Um, so definitely, you want to be, especially uh, ch- small children, because they may not recognize they're getting sunburned as well. So you want to be sure you're are if you have small children with you, you're making you're getting sunscreen on them. And also, again, yeah, it's reapplication. So if you're going to be in a wet environment, either swimming in the lake, around hoses, you're swimming at a pool, you want to reapply that sunscreen after a few hours uh, to make sure it's still doing its job. What about common
2: misconceptions about the hot weather and heat-related illnesses?
1: I think it's that probably people think that the only the very vulnerable at risk. I mean, anybody could become suffer from heat stroke or heat exhaustion. I mean, unfortunately, we even see that occur in people who are Athletes every year when they're outside exerting themselves uh, at very hot times in the summer. Um, so uh, it's just being aware that you that anybody can suffer from it, um, and that you all everyone should always be taking precautions if they're going to be outside in the heat.
2: How quickly can heat
1: exhaustion set in if you're not prepared? I, it, it varies. So I mean, there's a lot of things that vary on your your general health status, um, kind of how you start out that day, if you start hydrate or not, how much you're exerting yourself. So I mean, if someone was to go out and do like uh, a lot of exercise, very rigorous um, exercise, and then not be taking in any fluids. Uh, it could probably happen within less than an hour or so. It all just kind of depends on your your the loss through, through uh, sweating and everything, everything else. Um, I think the, the big things are just to recognize early on in yourself if you're starting to feel the effects of the heat. And that's a sign right away that you probably need to start limiting your exertion and, and taking in more fluid and getting some rest. Um, And then it's also if you if you're with other people and they seem that they're suffering, the effects is looking out for them as well. Once
2: again, this is Dr. Chris Sampson at MU Healthcare from a recent press conference I covered. He discusses heat related illnesses. What about common mistakes for people that might have heat exhaustion?
1: I think it's just people think that they're not at risk for it. I think they think that they they are in perfect health and really it's it can affect anybody i mean it, it's a combination of factors it's not just your general health status so it's also just the what the environment's like you're working in or 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 exercising in i mean the same way we see people who are extremely healthy that get pretty severely uh suffer the effects from the heat um so i've seen people who have been great athletes and have gotten to the point of of a heat stroke so it's not definitely yeah it's not always just the the very sick or the or the people who are not very fit that it occurs in
2: has there been an increase in heat-related illnesses over the years
1: i mean locally we definitely we see more heat emergencies when the temperatures are up uh so i mean that's probably risen as as time goes on um definitely globally we are seeing more heat-related deaths um as the as temperatures rise um and a lot of that is just yeah people being exposed and the the heats is longer and for more prolonged periods of time um, I mean, it used to be sometimes in some areas, even in the, in the United States, you'd have a couple days where it would be extremely hot. And now sometimes you have where it persists for weeks. So, I mean, that's definitely the the longer you're at these higher temperatures, uh, the more likely there's going to be more heat emergencies. When should someone seek medical attention, you think? Yeah, I think the if you're just initially suffering some mild effects, like you feel dizzy or weak, um, and you get inside or you, you get some fluids in and that resolves, then there's not, often not a need to seek medical attention. If uh, the symptoms are not improving, you're having uh, severe chest pain, uh, the dizziness is not getting any better, uh, the person you're with is unconscious, um, that is a true emergency. So that is someone who needs, you need to call 911. They need to get to a hospital immediately. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Many
3: business owners and
1: entrepreneurs
3: today are drowning in unsecured debt and just can't stop incurring more. Business Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step recovery program where you will receive support for doing business and living life without incurring new unsecured debt. Business Debtors Anonymous offers meetings every day where members support one another to help them stop incurring new unsecured debt. You're not alone. Visit helpfordebtors.org. That's helpfordebtors.org.
6: As many as 1 in 8 Missourians face food insecurity every day, and among children, the numbers are even higher. The Drive to Feed Kids Hogs for Hunger program gives Missouri pig farmers and 4-H and FFA swine exhibitors the opportunity to address hunger in their communities by committing pigs locally or at the Missouri State Fair. One pig can feed more than 500 Missourians in need. Learn how you can participate at mofarmerscare.com drive
3: and mental health challenges. But many of us do not understand what we are facing or know how to ask for help.
6: At the American Psychiatric
7: Association Foundation, we understand what you are going through and we are here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more.
0: We're back on Show Me Today. We'll get physical here a little later in the program. We'll talk with that top 10 pickleball player in the world, and we'll hear about this organization in Columbia promoting athletic and physical fitness activities for high school girls. A lesser-known state historic site is the home and studio of one of Missouri's most famous and creative personalities, 20th century artist Thomas Hart Benton. Steve Sitton oversees the site, and he's with Ashley Byrd. Well,
9: we actually are the smallest Missouri State Park. Uh, we only have a third of an acre here. Um, and our visitation is not as high as I would like it to be, but it does mean that a lot of our tours are pretty personal. It's two, three, four people at a time. So we actually really get to take our time on the tour and, and answer all the questions that visitors have and, and really hopefully make it a nice uh relatable experience for
10: them
7: and this is really relatable because this is a site that has not been touched right since since the death of Thomas Hart Benton which you describe as Missouri's most renowned 20th century artist. now knowing the artists that come out of Missouri that's a that's a a lot that is a, a definite distinction tell me more about uh, Thomas Hart Benton's career
9: so yeah, it, it is pretty much the houses left just as it was uh, when the Bentons lived here up until 1975. Um, so we do have their things, and what we really try and go for is that the Bentons have stepped out for the day, and people get to take a look around. And um, sorry, what was the, the second part of your question?
7: No, I think we'll go with that. We'll go. Okay. It, I was reading even so much that he died in his studio uh, finishing a, a major work, and he died in his studio, and it looks like it's untouched.
9: That's correct, yeah. Uh, Benton went out uh, to his art studio January 19, 1975, after dinner. He told his wife he was going to put his signature on a, a mural he had been completing, and if he was happy with it. And he went out there and had a massive heart attack at 85 years old, which, you know, with his boots on, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, And it's a mural titled Sources of Country Music that had been commissioned by the brand new uh, Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. And that is where that mural is now.
7: The site's in Kansas City and the site of, of a lot of his work. We see some of his work at the state capitol. So tourists at the state capitol get to see Thomas Hart Benton's work. Tell me about some of those pieces.
9: Tom said his mural for the Missouri state capitol, if he had any right to make a judgment, was probably his best work. Um, I think he does have the right to make that judgment. Um, The mural is titled The Social History of Missouri. So it's about the people of Missouri, their labor, their development of the state. I do want to mention, though, he has a second mural in Jefferson City—a small one—there uh, at uh, Lincoln University in the library, Page Library. It's titled Abraham Lincoln. So a lot of people aren't aware of that one, but but there are two opportunities to see his his work in Jeff City.
7: And it was kind of kind of a controversial piece, wasn't it, uh, in 1935?
9: It, it was um, because Tom did not paint the famous Missourians. Uh, his great-great-uncle, Senator Thomas Hart Benton, is nowhere in that mural. Uh, the hero of World War One, General John Pershing, born in North Missouri, not in that mural. Benton said that mules did more for the development of the state than, than Senator Benton ever did. So it is the people, and he shows the Depression. He shows scenes of slavery. He shows uh, the destruction of the Civil War. Uh, he shows the Mormons being expelled from Missouri in the 1830s. Those things happened in Missouri. So Tom paints them. Um, so that's why it's titled The Social History. It's not a political history of Missouri. Uh, it's not a military history. It's the social history, the people.
7: He got his style from being in the Navy during World War I as a draftsman? That's how he got his style?
9: That's part of it. Uh, he also was classically trained. He studied at the Art Institute of Chicago. He studied in Paris. So he did have classical background, um, but uh, Tom had been living in New York City, working there. And at that point, he was considered a modern impressionist, Cubist sort of artist. But yes, during World War One, he uh, joined the Navy. He was stationed in Virginia, and part of his job was to – whenever one of the naval ships came into the harbor, Tom had to do a little report about it. And he had to do a little drawing of the ship and especially its camouflage patterns so that the Navy could identify that ship based on the camouflage patterns. So that forced him into a more realistic or representational style of art.
7: I, I'm reading more of this stuff as we even didn't know. Um, he was musical. He recorded an album. Yes. Uh, Tom was
9: self-taught on the harmonica. He was actually quite accomplished on that. And in 1941, uh, released in 42, Tom and his son TP recorded a record, ible, record album, excuse me, titled Saturday Night at Tom Benton's. Uh, Tom's daughter Jessie said she wasn't sure how good he was at the harmonica, but he was <laughs> dedicated to it. Uh, but he was actually, <laughs> he was really right at the forefront of collecting American folk tunes. He was good friends with. Uh, Pete and Charlie Seeger, Alan Lomax, uh, and a very good friend of Tom's was uh, the actor and, and singer Burl Ives. So there was definitely a musical quality to his life and to his artwork. He often did paintings of musicians. On several occasions, he would take a folk music song title and do a painting off of that. So there's Benton artwork out there. She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain, Wreck of the Old 97. Those are titles of Benton paintings. And then in his artwork... He tends to have this very curvy, flowy, wavy, I want to call it rhythmic sort of look to his, to his artwork.
7: We're talking to Steve Sitton, who, is, who directs the Thomas Hart Benton Home and Studio State Historic Site in Kansas City, talking about a universal renaissance man. He was also a writer.
9: He wrote two autobiographies, was actually working on a third. Um, his first one, An Artist in America, came out in 1937. It's wonderful. It's a little folksy. It's about his adventures, his travels around the country. And uh, especially a lot of that book is about how he saw the different regions of America differing from each other. So there's chapters in there, the South, the Midwest, the West, the rivers, the mountains, the cities. And then the second autobiography is uh, An American in Art, That one's more a little technical, how he paints what he thinks about art and the art world.
7: So put him on the list of folks I would love to meet, you know, folks I love to sit down and and do music with or talk with. How did he become such a worldly person um, growing up in a small town in Missouri?
9: That's a great question. Um, Tom actually, yes, he is from the Ozarks, the small town of Neosho, Missouri. But he comes from a well-to-do and well-connected family. He is named for his great-great-uncle, Senator Thomas Hart Benton, uh, Missouri's first U.S. Senator. His father, uh, Colonel M.E. Benton, was a successful lawyer in Neosho, Missouri, and a U.S. District Attorney. And when Tom was seven, his father was elected to the House of Representatives. The family actually moved to Washington, D.C. for uh, six years, eight years, excuse me, eight years, Um, And I think that's got to be pretty formative for Tom. The age of 7 to 15, he's living nine months in D.C., three months in the Ozarks, back and forth. Those are two, especially when you're talking, you know, 1902 uh, time period, those are two very, very different uh, experiences, you know, the nation's capital and and the, the hills of the Ozarks. And I think that served him well to be able to move in those different worlds as an adult to paints, working class, rural folks, but also have studied in Paris, lived in Chicago. Tom Benton lived in New York City for 22 years, actually. So he does have a lot of big city background.
7: And back to his home, we get to see a sense of all of this at the this state historic site. Um, what's what's one of your favorite spaces in this site, Steve?
9: The studios, obviously, you know, to be out there where he created these wonderful works of arts um, is really pretty special for me. Actually, though, uh, it's being in his library. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge reader. Uh, Tom Benton was as well. He could read French and Italian. Uh, one time said he didn't trust translations. Looking at the, the spines on the books, you get to see like, what is this person interested in? What is this family interested in? There are books on music, French poetry, religion, economics, feminism, philosophy. There's James Bond novels. There's James Michener novels. So I think that helps give you a good sense of who he was, what he thought, what he liked. So the library is probably my favorite space.
7: And you had a man who spent a lot of time telling the story, showing the story of the common man uh, in Missouri. Yes.
9: One of Tom's core beliefs was common art for the common man.
7: Tell us how to get to the state historic site and when you're open.
9: We're in Midtown, Kansas City, uh, kind of in the Westport District. The address is 3616 Bellevue. Uh, We do guided tours. We're open Thursday through Monday, so we're closed Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, The tours last 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes, uh, and they are $5 per adult.
7: All right. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. And if you want to hear this again, listen to our podcast wherever you can find your podcast. But Steve Sitton with Missouri State Parks, thank you so much for your time and for being with us on Show Me Today.
8: You're welcome.
9: I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners.
2: Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s.
5: Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to
6: youth.
4: And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices
5: with appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media.
4: Many kids
3: think vaping is harmless, but it's not.
5: So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when
7: you talk, they hear you.
3: For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
10: Email from school. about the incident today? Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on?
11: None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night,
6: too. Did you have a clue?
10: No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids.
6: Half the
11: time, it's rumors.
10: It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult.
0: back on show me today the voice of missouri i'm bill pollack and with me is dylan frazier a pro pickleball player and we talked to him a few months ago uh, dylan is, is training right now he's taking a few minutes to uh, join us dylan how you doing great to talk to you again
4: i'm doing great hey how you doing bill um thanks for having me back on yeah doing I'm, tra- good.
0: I'm trying to figure out when did we last talk it had to i don't know if it was over the winter or spring i I feel like you were getting ready to go to school or getting ready for class. I don't know if it was semester break. I can't, I can't remember.
4: It might have been over winter break. Yeah, that sounds right.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, you're from uh, Ashland, Missouri, uh, originally. Yep. Yeah. So what where, where do you call home now? Is that still your home base, or are you traveling all over the place, kind of a nomad?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I am pretty nomadic uh, right now, playing 30, 30 tournaments um, in a year, um, 30 weekends. I'll be traveling to places, but I still consider Ashland home-based. I actually have an apartment in Columbia, though, near campus um, that I stay at between tournaments. I guess Columbia is home-based right now.
0: So you're 21, obviously a college student, taking some classes. How do you balance classes and all of these tournaments?
4: Yeah, tough. Um, The the first couple of weeks is kind of a feeling it out process, getting a a routine down where I can finish some schoolwork early in the week. That way I can travel and play tournaments later in the week. But uh, it's tough. I'm doing I'm doing just a couple of classes, um, six credit hours and and they're online. So that helps a lot. Before I was doing, you know, five classes, 15 credit hours. And and they're all in person, which was pretty hard to manage. So I made the switch to just a couple online classes and it's uh, helping with the flexibility.
0: Dylan, Frazier joining us, a professional pickleball player. And I know you're pretty modest, but um, for people that didn't hear you the first time, you're one of the top-ranked players in the world. Can you update us on your rankings?
4: Yeah, sure. So there, there's actually several different ranking systems out there, so it depends on which one you look at. But the the tour I play on, the PPA tour, they, they, on their ranking system, I fall into the top fives and doubles and, and top ten in singles. And here's
0: the interesting thing about Dylan. I mean, if you've seen pickleball, it's a, it's a paddle, a wiffle ball. It's a, it's on a smaller court um, compared to tennis. Uh, but a lot of players come from tennis. They have that tennis background. But uh, Dylan, if I remember right, you didn't grow up playing tennis. You were a, a baseball player, and your mom got you into the game.
4: Yeah, that's right. Um, we picked it up in Florida. My mom introduced us to the to the sport and and we we really liked it it's got there's pros and cons coming from a tennis background versus not um a lot of the tennis players they'll pick it up faster and they'll they'll be at a higher level a little faster than than a non-tennis player but they've also got some habits that they've got to break if they want to perform at a high level too so there's there's pros and cons
0: yeah well i mean certainly you have an advantage if you're top five uh, in doubles top 10 in singles um what baseball skills uh, do you apply to pickleball?
4: The hand eye coordination is, is really big, especially in pickleball and it's a lot about reflexes too, you know, and, and, and timing on your swing. So that translated over really well. The the ones that were harder to pick up were the, the more Tennessee like shots from the from the baseline when you've got to hit a ground ground stroke and, and move laterally and, and, and hit a ball on the run. At the kitchen line though where a lot of the points is, is ends up being played when you have to volley it quickly back and forth the Baseball really comes in handy there, and actually a lot of a lot of baseball players come in and they pick that part of the game up really fast.
0: Yeah, and that's probably the most important part because what eighty at least eighty percent of the, the the point or you know a particular point is played right right at the kitchen, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. A large percentage. Yeah,
0: Dylan Frazier, a twenty-one-year-old from Ashland, Missouri, a, a professional pickleball. How long have you been a pro at pickleball?
4: I've been a pro for three years now. I've been playing for a total of seven.
0: Wow. All right. What uh, tournament do you have coming up? What's next for you?
4: So next weekend is uh, the Denver Open. I'll be playing. The tournament starts on Thursday with singles and then Friday mixed doubles. So I'll be playing with a female partner and then then Saturday men's doubles. Sunday is is championship Sunday, they call it. So if you make it into a final or, or a gold medal match, then you'll play on Sunday as well.
0: Dylan, you said you play, what, about 38 tournaments a year? 36, 38?
4: 30, but closer to 30, yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot. Do you uh, have the same partner? Because I imagine as a college kid, and I don't know the age of your uh, your other partners, but I imagine if there's some conflicts sometimes, or are they dedicated to this? I mean, this is it. You've got the same the same partners. You travel to each tournament together.
4: Yeah, no, that's a good question. And it, and it really just depends on, 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 who you ask. For me, I have a, I have a men's doubles partner that I play with that at every single tournament that we've, we've made a year long commitment to each other to play. And in mixed doubles, um, there's not as many, the females are, are more demand right now than the guys. So the guys have to kind of fight over, over the girls. Um, so it's harder to get a mixed partner for the entire, entirety of the year. Um, but I'll, I'll switch it up between three or four girls for the remainder of the year
0: why uh, is it difficult to get girls involved in pickleball is it just taking longer for them to catch on to this sport or
4: yeah you know that's that's all another good question and i'm not sure i have the answer to it but just just right now there's more the the men's field you could say is a little bit deeper they've got more guys playing or maybe not more but more like higher level guys that have kind of made it to that top echelon and and the female side it's uh They've got a lot of players, but there's there's some clear front runners right now. Well
0: Dylan, I, I don't want to uh I don't want to put you on the spot and I don't want to put you into a, a tough spot to answer this, but um how do you how do you make your money? And I don't wanna ask you how much you make. Uh, cause I think that's pretty rude. Sure. <laughs> I think that's a rude question. So how much you make doing that? How much can you actually make i, I see a lot of uh, grumpy people listening to this but but where does that money come from where where do you generate your revenue as a pro?
4: Yeah yeah, so a lot of players have have sponsors and usually the the main sponsor is um you know a paddle company. so like for mine for example are our, our Stellkirk, which is a paddle and apparel company, and uh chicken and pickle, which is. Uh, based in Kansas city, Missouri. That's like a restaurant and and pickleball area. They're a sponsor of mine too. So they'll help, they'll help with travel expenses, you know, hotels, flights, sometimes food. And then, and then, uh, maybe, maybe they'll give you an appearance fee or stipend, um, for every tournament that you play in. And then the PPA tour itself, the the tour that I play on, um, they'll give you an appearance fee for showing up and, and playing exclusively their tournaments as opposed to another tour's tournaments. Um, and then after that, it, it's prize money so you know you can make you can definitely make a, a living out of pickleball right now if you're in the top 10 15 players a lot of people a lot of pickleball players over these last couple of years have, have been quitting their full-time regular office jobs and, and just going full time full-time pickleball because it's it's getting to that point now and, and a lot of young players are starting to pick it up so the competition's getting tougher and it's an exciting time for pickleball for sure
0: Dylan Frazier, a professional pickleball player. You're only 21, but you've been in it for a while. And yeah, that's got to be um, pretty competitive from the standpoint that all right, you've got, say, the top 10 or 15 that are, that are making this their career. And so you're probably seeing the same players in each of these tournaments. You probably pick up on their tendencies. They're picking up on your tendencies. Uh, do you find it more and more difficult to have success because of that familiarity now with with people that you keep running into.
4: Yeah, um, that's definitely true. A lot of the pickleball is kind of a at the at the pro level is kind of a tight knit community. Like it's rare that you play someone that you you know don't know or you haven't gone to lunch with or had a conversation with it, at the very least. Um, but I think for me for me personally, I, I like to pick up on the on the tendencies of of other players. Like it goes both ways, right? So I think it I think generally it helps. I'd, I'd like to think that it helps me out a little bit more than than my my opponents but uh part of that's just because i come from i don't come from a tennis background so one of the advantages i have is my shots are a little bit um tougher to read and and anticipate and and there's not as much pattern to them just because i use a little bit more wrist in my shots and and the tennis players are are more armed so they they're a little bit more predictable um but yeah the mental the the mental component of of pickleball is is huge and, and and probably very comparable to tennis you know and sometimes you're the you're the only guy out there that can help yourself out um and a lot of times you have a partner but sometimes it's just singles and you're on your own um but you've definitely got to stay focused there's a lot of distractions you can get in your head um but you've got to come back you know to the moment you've always got to come back to the moment and everybody gets distracted and and, will lose their focus even the highest level athletes even baseball players at times probably but you've got to be able to to recover and, and, and regain your focus is, is the key. And, and the players that do that the best, I feel like, are the ones that have an edge out there on the court.
0: Dylan Frazier from uh, Ashland, Missouri, a professional pickleball player, a student at Mizzou taking some online classes, training during the week. He's got an upcoming tournament this weekend in Denver. Uh, do you look at making this uh, your career? Yes,
4: yeah, that's, the, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, you know you never know how long the the window is. Like I said, there's a lot more competition coming in. The landscape's changing pretty fast. Like you can't. It's the next six months of, of pickleball is is nearly impossible to predict. Like a lot of things could happen, but but hopefully I'll be able to do it for for at least a few more years.
0: Where can people follow you?
4: So they, they you can go to my Instagram page, which is at Team Dylan Frazier, and um, I'm I'm also on Facebook. That's also Dylan Frazier Pickleball. Um, and then, if you want to watch some tournaments, you can check out the PPA Tour YouTube stream. They record live um, tournament matches that are that are going on that weekend. And uh, sometimes, occasionally, you can find it on like on on Sunday especially. You can sometimes find it on ESPN Plus or, or ESPN Two, and and even sometimes on the on the tennis channel, depending on which tournament it is.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll check that out. The PPA Tour on the YouTube. Dylan Frazier, uh, great catching up with you. Uh, best of luck this weekend in Denver, and uh, we'll catch up down the road.
4: Well, I appreciate it, though. Thanks for, thanks for chatting with me.
0: This is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri.
6: Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day. Among children, the numbers are even higher. To ensure Missouri children have the food they need to thrive, Missouri's agricultural community launched Drive to Feed Kids six years ago. Visit slash drive to learn more and join the efforts. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day, and among children, the numbers are even higher. The Drive to Feed Kids Hogs for Hunger program gives Missouri pig farmers and 4 H and FFA swine exhibitors the opportunity to address hunger in their communities by committing pigs locally or at the Missouri State Fair. One pig can feed more than 500 Missourians in need. Learn how you can participate at mofarmerscare.com drive.
5: Discover the fascinating world of nature right here in Missouri with Discover Nature Notes. Today, let's jump into the weird world of spittlebugs. bugs. You'll never look at bugs the same way again. Spittlebugs literally grow in a protective bubble. You may see these bubbles that look like spit on plants this time of year. The Spittlebug nymph finds protection from the weather and predators while feeding and growing inside the bubbles. Adult Spittlebugs are high jump champions in nature, leaping more than 100 times their length and height. By comparison, that would be like you or me jumping over the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. The acceleration used for jumping is a force more than 400 times the force of gravity. So when you see the bubbles, just rest assured you're witnessing the growth of nature's high jumper, the spittle bug. Discover more with Missouri Department of Conservation at discovernaturenotes.com.
6: Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved?
8: Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking?
6: If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an
10: alcoholic.
8: Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon, Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org/help.
0: Thanks for listening to show me today. When for Columbia has a mission to inspire, promote and support participation by girls in athletics and physical fitness activities. They're going to be having a seminar later this month. Cameron Connor is with Mitzi Clayton discussing the importance of uplifting women in athletics.
11: Win for Columbia originated around 27 years ago by a small group of women uh, that, believed at the time and still exists today, that there are a lot of really great accomplishments by girls and women who participate in physical activity. And they wanted to give recognition to these individuals. And so um, 26 years ago, they began their first awards luncheon where they celebrate girls through adult women uh, who participate and excel in sport and physical fitness. And that luncheon, uh, at that luncheon, not only do we provide awards to those individuals, but we also bring in a motivational speaker. So there's been Jackie Joyner kersee there's been Holly Rowe, uh, very prominent individuals last year was Krishna Lee, who was a USA women's tackle football gold medalist uh, for Teen USA. And so she spoke uh, to the group and So that has been our notoriety, that that luncheon. Um, But in the last year to 18 months, we've we've embarked upon more events and tried to get our name out there and trying to do make more of an impact to Columbia and our community.
12: Okay, great. Well, what what an unbelievable organization. So, So many great facets and ideas that come through that. Mitzi, the next place that I or the next way that I'd love to turn to this conversation, and it might sound like a redundant question, but I think it's a really important topic to bring up. And it's kind of just the fact that why is it so critical for women to engage in athletics and in sports, especially with something like the seminar to teach women at a young age and really propel them forward?
11: Yeah, there was a study not long ago that was released that reflected uh, young girls ages 9 through 12 dropping out of sport at an alarming rate more than ever before. And they're doing so because of, uh, you know, mental wellness, self-image type issues, also menstruation and things that come along with that. This event that we're hosting on July the 18th, Uh, is going to touch upon several important topics ranging from um, identifying our values and things we hope to learn through sport, goal setting, also how to fuel our bodies the right way, which segues right into a body image panel uh, for some. uh, We have some all Americans, uh, professional bodybuilders and a variety of folks sitting on that panel sharing their story, but also encouraging others to ask questions and learn. Then also uh, Dr. Tiffany Bohan will be there. Um, She is going to speak about uh, the female triad and managing menstruation with sport and the cycles and training and things like that. Um, Also then we have uh, Katie Williamson, who's going to be speaking about managing injury and pushing through, when to push through injury, when to not. And the mindset that goes along with maybe not being 100 percent, but how we still persevere and be resilient. Uh, also, then uh, Dr. Scott Morton is going to be speaking about power posing and just those very important 10 minutes leading up to a competition or a speech, whatever you might be doing, but how to establish yourself physically and mentally, confidently. Um, And just prior to that, we're going to do a short snippet on mindfulness, uh, mindful breathing and helping use your breath uh, to reduce any excess anxiety that might contribute to poor performance and getting us to that optimal level.
12: All right. And for anyone who's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Mitzi Clayton. We're talking about a great seminar that Win for Columbia is going to be putting on you haven't heard of Win before, that is Women's InterSport Network. This is going to be going on July 18th. And, Mitzi, the place that I'd love to turn this next, because so much resourceful information is here, and this is such a great opportunity to have, what is the classifications or the requirements for who can mm-hmm. attend? And is there a certain place they have to sign up? Can they just show up? What about those details?
11: Sure. So if there is a registration process, and we ask that because we need a head count and shirt sizes so that every girl can walk away with a T-shirt, but also we're providing lunch. And it is a free event. We wanted to eliminate any and all barriers that might prevent young women from coming to this activity. It is open to any ninth through 12th grade girl that attends a Columbia high school, private or public um, they can come to Battle High School, uh, where we'll spend the day together. And there is registration is at the um, winforcolumbia.com website. And there this they can sign up. We do need parental consent. So we ask that they sign up, give us uh, some details about themselves, and then we'll also initiate the consent from the parents and hope that they all show up on July 18th. We're also inviting their coaches um, because we think it's important that these coaches know the message we're sharing with these young women. Uh, In some instances, I know there are some new coaches at our local high schools and we're hoping that this activity can serve as a great basis for future team building. Some of these conversations and tactics that they'll be learning, we think that those coaches can then incorporate into their preseason as the uh, 2023 academic year gets underway. And so we think it's going to be a real win for them as well. No pun intended.
12: <laughs> just to recap it a little bit. So this is going to be July 18th at Battle High School. You do have to register for this just to make sure that all of the resources and everything is in order. And that's going to be at winforcolumbia.com for anyone who hasn't gotten that yet. Mitzi, as far as the, this interview goes, wrapping up, is, is there anything that we missed that you believe is really important to basically showcase before the seminar happens?
11: No, I don't think so, except just to recognize that when for Columbia, we endeavor to be more than just a luncheon. And we've begun that this year. We host, we will be hosting another National Girls and Women in Sport Day celebration on February 7th. And that's an event where we open up for all women of all ages the opportunity to work out for free at 10 local gyms. Um, and that's a national event that we in Columbia are participating in. Um, and so we hope that folks will see the value that Win for Columbia brings to our community and support us so that we can spread the wealth and make sure that as we young girls age to collegians, to post-collegians, to adults and folks in their 50s like I am, that physical fitness and wellness is always a goal and a um an intentional effort on a daily basis so that we can age well and as healthy as possible.
12: All right. Once again, this has been Mitzi Clayton. She is the president of the board of directors for WIN for Columbia. They're going to be hosting a seminar July 18th at Battle Out High School from 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Mitzi, thank you so much for your time here today on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Thank you. And for anyone who tuned in late, wants to hear more, play this back, share it, make sure to search Show Me Today wherever you get your podcast.
0: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The last I saw, temperatures 98, 99 by Wednesday, so stay out of the heat. Thanks to Anthony Morbeth, Ashley Byrd, and Cameron Connor. I'm Bill Pollack. Thank you for listening.
5: Show Me Today.